everybody. I want to say welcome to all of our services happening all weekend long at our Plantation Campus. Also want to welcome our Gateway Campus east of I-75 as well. And you guys, I am so excited that this weekend we have a special guest with us. Pastor Rob Ketterling uh, from Minneapolis, Minnesota is the uh, founding. Yeah, yeah, we can welcome him. It's good. It's some, yes. The Minnesotans, they like you. It's That's good. It. See, uh, he and his, his wife, Becca, pastor River Valley Church in, uh, in south of the Twin Cities. And yes. they have six campuses spread out all over the Twin City, Cities. Their church is about 6, 000, over 6,000 people in weekly attendance. And Pastor Rob and I have been friends, and he has been more than a friend, a mentor to me for over a decade. And uh, I just love Pastor Rob and Becca, and Sarah and I are just great friends with them and, and take so many of your ideas and call them next-level ideas. So thank you publicly for all of that. It's, it's well, or, or borrowing yes. and making better. That's so right. anyway, come on, Next Level. Without further ado, let's give a great big Next Level welcome to Pastor Rob Ketterlund. Uh, okay, we steal, we steal from you all the time, I'm just going to say, and love your church, we love Next Level, Matt and Sarah, we have enjoyed our friendship with them, and uh, you got to know this, a couple years ago, well a couple years, 10 years ago, we met, and uh, this is a true story, he came to our church, and we didn't really know each other that well, and he got a tour of our church, and he's walking around, and he knew me a little bit. And he's seen our church, and he's thinking, this is impressive. And he's looking at me thinking, you're not that impressive. That's what he was thinking. <laughs> and all of a sudden, he goes in our auditorium, and he sees it, and he starts yelling, yes, yes, yes. He goes, if you can do it, anyone can. <laughs> so I almost defriended him right there, you know, like, you're out of my life. But I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, you're not Andy Stanley. You're not, you know, like, related to Billy Graham. You're like a normal guy. And, and God did something, and there's hope for me, and... And so I kept him as a friend. But uh, uh, since then, we've been able to grow in our friendship and our families getting together and them coming to Minnesota and just spending time together. And we've absolutely loved the journey that we've been able to do together. We love it, love it, love it. And uh, I feel like it's coming home week for us uh, right now because everywhere I drive, there are Minnesota plates. How many know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I don't want to own them, though, because they're driving really slow. So I'm just <laughs> passing those ones. But uh, uh, and also, I was here. I was at your plantation campus uh, when it was under construction, and Pastor Matt and Sarah, they were taking us through, and they're saying, this is where the kids are going to be, and this is where this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and we're going to fix that. Don't worry about that. That'll be fixed later. And, you know, and, and can you see it? And I could see it. I could see the vision. I could see where it was going. And I was so excited. And then, of course, this weekend, they took us to the Gateway Campus, and I got so excited about that, to see what God is doing there, and just to see that campus exploding and growing. And then uh, it seems like every, oh, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 minutes we drive, all of a sudden we were like, you should have a campus here. You should have a campus. How about here? How about here? So I think we started 50 campuses this weekend. I just want to <laughs> let you know. We're, so we're going to take an offering if we could. And uh, oh, man, absolutely, absolutely love, love, love being with you guys. Feel like we're home. And uh, just, I just have been cheering you on. And honestly, we've been copying from you. We've been learning from you. And uh, absolutely love. Anything that we can do, we'd love to do. I, I want to explain something. Um, I'm one of your overseers. And really that means that Matt and Sarah have allowed me to speak into their life. And I think that should bring you huge comfort as, as people in the church. Because you're, you know, you're like, please talk to them more often. Okay, I get it. 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 But here's what it is. It, it's, it's, it's somebody that has a different view of him that says, I'm going to look at you from a different angle. Um, I'm not employed by you. I'm a friend of yours. I have nothing but your best interest at mind. 
in mind. So I'm going to call out things that I see. I'm going to speak into things. I'm going to encourage things. And the way I view it as an overseer, and if you're ever in this position to be an elder, an overseer, a, a director of a board or something like this, catch this visual. You have in your hands a gas can and a water can, okay? And if you're a good overseer or board member or elder or whatever you are, you, you have a bigger gas can than you do water cans, okay? And when you see somebody that's going forth in ministry or doing something and they want to know your opinion, if you can pour gas on their fire and encourage their passion, pour gas on it. Pour gas on it. And then use the water sparingly when you need to say, whoa, 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 back up, slow down, slow down. And so they've given us that permission to pour gas on their fire and to also have the water to say, whoa, slow down. Have you thought this through? Have you thought this through? And so I want to tell you as an overseer for them and for your church, um, I know you're just going to trust me on my word on this. You have to believe this sincerely. I have seen no inconsistencies in their life. I can tell you they're the same people on the platform and in the restaurant and in the car and in the green room and, and traveling around and at conferences and when no one's looking. And I can tell you it brings me great joy to say that I love your pastors, and I hope you do too. If you love your pastors, here, let's show the appreciation for them at all the campuses. Yeah. I love that my wife is with me, and uh, I'd love to show a picture of our family real quick to show my wife and then our two boys, Connor and Logan. And uh, they, the boys couldn't be with us. They're at school at North Central University. And, of course, uh, as pastor's kids, they, they drive by a warehouse building and say, that would make a great campus. And, uh, you know, they grew up in that church. But they're doing great, loving the Lord, and uh, want to be in ministry. And, of course, love having my wife uh, being able to travel and uh, be here with your pastor. So um, I want to talk about another family member um, in the message here. I want to talk to you about my mom. And uh, the title of my message is called Grandma's Tattoo. And uh, uh, you got to understand, uh, my mom came to me one day and she said, Rob, she goes, I, she starts crying. And she said, I, I need to get a tattoo. And I said, no, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> you know, you're like 60-something. No, you don't need a tattoo. And uh, she goes, no, I really need a tattoo. Then I'm thinking my staff is punking me. You know, that's what I'm thinking. My staff is punking me, so I'm kind of like, whatever, yeah, what kind of tattoo? And she starts really crying, and she's like, no, I really, really need a tattoo. And I'm thinking, Mom, you don't, you don't do tattoos. Nobody has tattoos. I don't have a tattoo. Becca doesn't have a tattoo. The boys, you, nobody has a tattoo. Like, you are not that kind of mom. Just to explain to you how out of context this was for my mom doing this, um, my mom was the kind of mom that, okay, this is how she raised us. She said, um, you love Jesus with your whole heart, right, don't you? And I was like, yes, I do. I'm seven years old. I'm going to school. And she goes, okay, today, if they want you to deny Christ, don't deny him. And I'm thinking, do they do that at school? You know, like, okay. She goes, like, even if they want to cut your tongue out, don't let them. You love Jesus. Don't deny him. Do not. I'm like, okay. And I'm going to school all day. Like, hi, how's it going? How's it going? How's it going? Good, 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 good. Okay. Okay. So that she's serious for God. Okay. So serious. She's like, you know, don't be ashamed of Christ. If you're ashamed of him, he'll be ashamed of you. And uh, one day she went to the Christian bookstore, and she buys this gigantic button. And it says, I'm a Jesus people. And has this guy doing like this, you know. And it has a leather strap. And she goes, I bought this for you so you could stand up for your faith at school. And I'm in elementary school, and I'm like, yeah, no, not going to happen. And she's like, well, you know what the word of God says, don't you? And I'm like, uh, yeah, what? 
And she's like, if you're ashamed of him, he'll be ashamed of you on judgment day. So you better wear that to school. I'm like, all right, you know. So I'm wearing this button. I'm not ashamed of Christ, you know. Walk into school. I got the button. And the teacher's like, oh, Robbie, what's that? And I'm like, it's a button. I'm a Jesus people person. Not ashamed of him at all. Not at all. I mean, so I'm wearing it all day. And about halfway through the day, this guy comes up to me. He goes, hey, hey, hey. I just want to let you know that I'm a Christian too, you know. I go, you want to wear the button? Yeah. He's like, no way, man. I said, hey, if you're ashamed of him, he will be ashamed of you. <laughs> and he wore it the second half of the day. I'm just like, yeah. Okay. That's my mom. Okay, that's the family that I grew up in. Mom, just, you know, and she even said, like, if you marry a non-Christian, we will not show up to your wedding. We'll go to the reception, but not the wedding. <laughs> serious. I'm, that's my mom, okay? So she needs a tattoo. And then she's like, I got to get a tattoo. I got to have a tattoo. And I'm like, mom, seriously, we don't do tattoos. I don't, I don't think, I mean, as a pastor, I don't think I'm authorized to get you a tattoo. I can't do this. And she starts to cry. And she says, uh, you know, I, I've got to just talk to people about Jesus. And she goes, I'm a widow. She's like, all my friends know that I'm saved. And she goes, I'm trying to figure out a way to talk to people about Jesus because Jesus has been so good to me. And if I don't talk about Jesus, I think I'm going to die. And she said, I, everyone in our senior building knows that I love Jesus. I've talked to every one of them, and I've got to look for new people. And I thought about this, and when I was praying, I felt like God said if I got a tattoo, that I could witness for him with a tattoo. And I'm thinking, I don't know what to do theologically with this. I really don't know. <laughs> And then I realized in John 2 that Jesus, you know, Mary said, Jesus, these people have run out of wine. And he said, it's not my time to do a miracle. And she said, take care of it. And he had to obey his mom, so I figured I had to obey my mom. That's the, <laughs> the best I could come up with. And so I take my mom to the tattoo parlor. I know, I know. And we walk in, and they think I'm there, and, like, I needed her to sign off or something. They don't, they don't know. They're like... Not sure why he's here, you know. Um, and I said, yeah, she wants her first tattoo and everything. And so she goes and gets her first tattoo, and uh, she goes in there and gets it from, well, uh, who wants to see a picture of my mom? Okay, okay, here is a picture of my mom getting her first tattoo. Okay, and the guy's name is Viper. Viper, you can't make that up. You can't make that up. So, and Viper just thinks this is the coolest thing that she's getting this and that she's getting her tattoo. Now, you can't see her. So let's get a close-up on her tattoo. Let's get a close-up, and you'll see her wrist. And on her wrist, it has the letters I-B-T-J. Now, this stands for I belong to Jesus, okay? Because she didn't want to do the WWJD because everybody had that, right? So she wanted people to ask her a question about it, so she did I-B-T-J. And so she gets done with her tattoo, and she's no sooner done with it. There are three people waiting for tattoos Definitely not IBTJ tattoos. Let's just be clear. And she goes, I got my first tattoo. I got my first tattoo. She goes, do you know what it stands for? And she shows them all. And she goes, I belong to Jesus. Do you? Do you? Do you? And they're like, ah. Yeah. So it, uh, no kidding. So if you even glance at my mom, if you even like look at it, she's like, did you look at my tattoo? Did you, did you see my tattoo? Like, oh, I do now. And she's like, you know what it stands for? And she shows it to them, and they guess all sorts of random things. One lady said to her, uh, I don't know what it stands for. I've been to jail? You know, she's like, I, she's like, I don't know, you know, IBTJ. So, oh, man. So I took her, and I'm not advocating anybody to get a tattoo. I don't have one, you know, but um, it hit me. It hit me. She said, Rob, if I don't talk to people about Jesus, I'm going to die. I mean, with tears. 
pouring down her face. Like, you don't understand, Jesus has been so good to me. I have to find someone else to talk to. I have to look for an opportunity to share how good Jesus has been to me. I, I, I couldn't just go through life without giving glory and honor and, and trying to invite somebody else to know the Savior that saved my life and, and, and changed my entire life. She grew up not far from here in Tampa and, and, and ran away from home, and it was, it was a horrible situation. And she's like, I thank God that he saved me. And, and she ran far away to Minnesota and was freezing cold up there, and, and, and God found her. And she's like, I am so glad that he saved me. And if I don't talk about him, I think I'm going to die. And my question for you is, if you don't talk about Jesus, do you have that same feeling that, you won't, that you'll die? Do you have the same burning passion to say, I've got to reach somebody. Uh, God put neighbors around me. God put coworkers there. God put people. If I don't talk about Jesus, I'll die. He's been so good to me. I, I just have to tell someone else about Jesus. I've got to go into all the world and tell somebody about Jesus. I mean, because here's the thing that's really sad. Do you know that most Christians lose their passion for lost people within two years of their conversion? Within two years of their conversion, they go from everyone needs to know Jesus, and they tell all their friends, like, everybody needs to know Jesus, okay? But after two years, here's what happens to the average churchgoer. They go to church, and they start to love the amenities of church. Now, there is nothing wrong with amazing worship, and you have amazing worship here. But all of a sudden, it becomes, you know what? We're going for worship. I wonder if they're introducing a new song. Oh, it's December. I bet you they're going to do a Christmas carol. Oh, I wonder, you know, and then you start thinking about all the amenities. Oh, they have the great coffee. Coffee's free. Oh, and they start, you start thinking about all the things. Oh, and I wonder how funny Pastor Matt will be. You know, he might give me a good one for the office this week. You just start thinking that way, right? And then you think, oh, I love my life groups. Oh, I love that. I love to be able to connect with other people. It's so great. I love that our kids have great ministry, and you start loving all the amenities. And please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying to cancel that, but all of a sudden, that becomes your focus. And you become a critic of the amenities. You become a critic of the amenities. And then instead of thinking about who are the lost people, and who don't I recognize, and who needs me to greet them, and how can I help, and did I bring someone with me that needs to know Jesus? We start thinking about what will they do for me? Now, Matthew 28 is very clear, and it's a scripture that you should be very familiar with. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's right there. It's right there. It's saying for us to go. And in case you didn't know this, in the way that that passage is written, the only imperative there is go. The other action words are there. They're participles. The other things, the teaching, the obeying, the discipling, all the other things that churches will say, we want teaching, we want discipling, we want this. They are all dependent on the going. No go, no teaching. No go, no discipling. It, it's like you have to go. It's all about the go. If you don't go, you miss the whole point. And yet, we start to love the amenities. We start to do those things. The next thing you know, we, we just enjoy what's around us. And then, if we work up our courage, this is another thing that I'm really afraid of. If we work up our courage, we want to do good deeds, but we don't want to tell anybody why we're doing good deeds. 
we do good deeds, and the Bible says we should do good deeds so they glorify our Father in heaven, so that people will see it and they'll glorify him. And when somebody says, hey, thanks for giving us this food, instead of us saying, well, thank you, you know, you're welcome, and we love to give food at our church, you know, it's like, hey, we do this because God changed our life. You know what, before this, we were selfish people. We went to giving anybody anything, but God changed our life. And we thank God for the change that he did in us so that we could do this for you. Because people like to do nice. And I'm really worried about people that are under 30 because we want to start doing nice things, but we got to tell the reason why we're nice. Why are we nice? Nice counts. We should be the nicest people on the planet, but we got to tell them why we're nice. Why are we nice? We just don't want to be nice and let them not know the reason. Now, I'll tell you about this. This is the Great Commission. Obviously, you're very familiar with it, but I didn't know this. It was coined in 1910, the Great Commission. It wasn't called the Great Commission until then. In 1910, in Edinburgh, Scotland, they commissioned these people to study about missions. They commissioned a different group, and they said, it's great, you're going to go out there and see what God's doing, and it's great, you go there and you go see and then bring us back a report. And so when they commissioned these people to bring a report about missions, they came back and they said, oh, it's amazing. What God is doing in this country is absolutely incredible. It's amazing. You won't believe it. And it's so great. I'm, it's so great that you commissioned me to go there. It's so great that you commissioned me to. See, they kept saying this. Each report kept saying, it's so great that you commissioned me to go and do this. And they said, this is the great commission. This is the great. This is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to go into all the world. And preach the good news of Jesus Christ that people can be forgiven of their sins, that they can uh, have, be reconciled with God. This is the Great Commission. This is what we're supposed to do. And that's where it started. The first word of the Great Commission is go. And I love this word so much. I've teased our church that I want to name our church Go Church. Okay? Because our kids' ministry is actually called Go Kids. Because we believe they are arrows in our hand. They're going to hit the destiny that God has for them. There's a purpose, and we are going to send them out in this world. Matter of fact, I declared to our church just not that long ago, I said, I believe we're going to raise up 500 missionaries that will give at least one year of their life to missions, at least one year, 500 from our church. And what was interesting is all the church people were like, ooh, that's a lot of people. How are we going to do that and all that? What's interesting, the business people came up and said, okay, now I know why I have what I have. I'm going to leverage my finances for the kingdom of God. I want to send those missionaries. And I love the faith of the business community that was like, all right, let's make more money to send missionaries. Love the word go. Absolutely love the word go. It's a little less than 200 times the Bible tells us to go. And um, it never tells us to hide. And 13 times it tells us in the Bible to stay but the staying is always to be refreshed for the going. The staying is always to be refreshed. You huddle up, if you will, on the weekend services to be refreshed, to be recharged, to, to remember what it's all about, to be ready, to be sent out, to go. And the next thing you know, you leave the place and you go and you reach the people that God wants you to reach. I mean, it's important for us to realize that we go, and a lot of us say, well, I'm not equipped. How many have heard that excuse? Like, I'm not equipped, you know, um, you know I, I don't know enough, um, you know, I, 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 I just, if I, if, I, if I learned a little more, then for sure I would. Okay, I want to let you know this. Instead of saying, ready, set, go, I believe God says, go, ready, set. He says, go, ready, set. And we're like, wait, 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 wait. He says, no, Go. Go, go, I will help you. I will help you to be able to share what's in you. I'll give you the things to say. I want you to go, and the rest of it will follow once you get the faith to go. 
Okay, I can prove this to you that God sends people out way before they know enough. Do you know who the first missionary was that Jesus sent out? Think about this for just a second. The first missionary, he's got his disciples, and it's not in Acts, it's in the Gospels. The man that was demon-possessed with so many demons that they called it legion. This man was demon-possessed and, just so you know, not wearing any clothes and living amongst dead people. So this guy comes running at Jesus. Jesus casts the demons out of him. And then this guy says, I want to be a disciple. I want to follow you. I, I want to join these guys. And Jesus says, no, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Decapolis, 10 cities that I'll never enter that's in your region right here, and I want you to tell them what I did for you, and I want you to tell them about the power of God that is at work. I want you to go and basically be the first missionary. So he's probably like, does anybody have a change of clothes for this guy? We want to send our missionaries out fully clothed, okay? So get some clothes on this guy. We now can go. You're now a missionary. Go, all right? Think about that. The first missionary, his only story was, I, I, I was naked in a tomb and full of demons, and Jesus set me free, and he can set you free. You need to follow Jesus. And that's all he knew, and Jesus is like, that's good enough. Now go to those 10 cities and be our first missionary. Okay, so if he was qualified to be a missionary, you are qualified to talk to your neighbor. You are qualified to do something and to reach lost people. Now, again, I'm just afraid that we start losing our passion for the lost, and it's not unique to us. It's in the Bible, and I want to tell you a little story about that. In, in Luke 14, in Luke 14, Jesus is at the meal of a prominent Pharisee. He's there at the meal of a prominent Pharisee, and uh, while he's there, um, he starts talking to them. They're having what we would call a network lunch, okay? In their culture, they would get together with other people that they would network with, and they would say, like, hey, it's good to see you, let's do business. And they'd get people together, and it was kind of the rich and famous getting together for dinner. And so Jesus is there, and he's trying to tell them, like, guys, this is not the way I want you to do lunch. And so in Luke 14, he starts saying this. He says, you know, hey, when you have a banquet like this and you do these things, invite the poor people in. And they're all like, oh, who invited this guy? He said, when you do a banquet like this, he said, you know what? You ought to invite the people that can't invite you back. You ought to invite the people that, that are, are less fortunate. You ought to invite the, the lame, and you ought to invite the sick. And they're like, oh, no, no, no. He does not get this. You would never let a lame person or a sick person even use your dishes. Because if you let them use your dishes, they were corrupt. And so you'd never even let them use your dishes. And now Jesus is saying, welcome them to your banquet. Like, hey, this is open for everybody, guys. God wants everyone to come and, and be at the banquet. And the people are getting nervous. They're getting nervous because he's saying, like, everyone's welcome. And this is not going down with the way that they've thought of it. Because they're starting to think, like, aren't we glad that we're Jewish people? Aren't we glad that we're not like the dirty Gentiles? Aren't we glad that... We are the chosen ones. Aren't we glad that we're on the inside and they're on the outside? And Jesus is saying, like, let's invite everybody in. And they're really, really, really stressing this. And in Luke 14, verse 15, it says this. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Now, you and I read that and we think, this guy was nice. This guy was nice. He's saying, hey, good job, Jesus. But if you understand the context of what he was saying, 
he was saying this. He was saying, I needed to change the topic. I needed to change the topic. So I'm going to propose a toast right now. And he proposed a toast that they were very familiar with. He was saying, hey, we are blessed because someday we're going to eat at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Someday God is going to have a big banquet for us. Someday God is going to take care of us and all of our troubles will be taken care of and God is going to feast with us and those of us that know God will be able to feast with God. And so basically, this guy was raising a glass and here's what he was saying. Here's to those that are here. Here's to us. Aren't we great? Aren't we amazing? And so they all were like, oh, thank you for changing the subject. Here, here. Here's to those that are here. Now, this immediately starts to break our Lord's heart because right after this, he goes in and talks about the parable of a man hosting a big banquet, and the man was God, God the Father, and he talks about this man having a banquet and that not enough people were coming to the banquet. Not enough people were coming to the banquet that he had prepared a bigger place than the amount of people that were at the banquet. And so he says, Jesus starts saying, and the, the master was saying, go out to the highways and the byways and compel them to come in. Grab them because he's saying, he, he prepared for so many more than what are showing up. And he's saying, the host will have guests. He will have guests. He will welcome more people in than you realize. And so Jesus again goes in, and we know it must bother him, and Luke must catch the intensity as he's recording this from eyewitnesses, and he's, and he's putting this down for us to take advantage of and to see and learn from this lesson. Because then Luke goes right into Luke 15, which is where we have the parable of the lost coin of the woman who looked desperately for the lost coin until she found it. We have the parable of the lost sheep that the, the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes after the one. We have the only account of the prodigal son where the father is looking for the son to come back and he goes running at his son and says, welcome home. So we know that this is bothering Jesus because of the intensity that Luke records all this. And with no disrespect, this is what I believe Jesus was doing. The other man said, here's to those that are here. And I believe immediately Jesus changed the subject back and said, here's to those not yet here. Here's to those not yet here. The master will have guests. His house will be full. He has a bigger plan than you do. He sees more people at the banquet than you do. He never intended this to be a club. He intended you to be on a search party. He intended for you to go out to the highways and the byways and grab them in. Here's to those not yet here. And his heart was breaking. And so if it can happen to them, it can happen to us. And next level church, I would just say, don't let that happen to you. Please, please, please right now, embrace fast growth problems. What does that mean? Who will go to the less convenient time service? Who will park the furthest away from the church? Who will carpool together when you'd rather have the convenience of having three or four cars here so you could all go your separate way after church? Have fast growth problems where you realize, all right, I'm going to help start the next campus. Have fast growth problems when you say, when are we done with building programs? We're never done. Can I tell you this? If you guys stop starting new campuses and you stop reaching lost people, I'll stop being an overseer. But before that, your pastor will quit. His heart oozes for lost people. Him and Sarah just break the staff. Their heart breaks. Yours should too. And say, we want to reach more people. And you say, I, I want to tell you something. We had a prophecy in our church. We believe that God divinely speaks through people that have certain giftings. And this person had a gifting of prophecy. 
And this prophecy was given over our church, and it was called Run Downhill, and I believe it would be very appropriate for your church. I believe that it almost could be on you as well. And in this prophecy, it was a word from God saying, you've done a lot, but don't stop. And it said, continue to run downhill. Don't fight momentum. Don't fight momentum. And it said, run like reckless abandonment, like a child running downhill, not worried and running full speed ahead, not fighting against the momentum, but just running, knowing that they'll get to the bottom. And it said, some people will say, you've done enough. Stop, slow down. It's enough. But God would say, believe for more, do more, don't stop, keep reaching, because your aim is right and your goal is right. And I'll tell you this, the, the goal of the church is to reach lost people. The, the passion of your heart of your pastors is to reach lost people and to say the next one matters, here's to those not yet here. Run downhill, run downhill, embrace fast church problems that you have rather than slow church where we're like, well, how are we going to get anybody to show up? Instead, we're trying to solve the problem. Where could we start another campus? How many services can we do in one facility? How many people will go to the off times and make room for more? That's the heart for God. That's the heart that God has for lost people, and that's the heart that you need to have. And I just want to illustrate this with one last illustration. Um, I know this is the heart for God because as a parent, I just had a breakthrough moment with this. That God's heart is for here's to those not yet here, and his eye is on his lost children. Years ago, I brought our, our oldest son, Connor, to the Mall of America. And um, I don't have time to go into this, but I'll just share it again. I feel prompted to share this. Um, our oldest son was born with autism, and I don't have time to go into this all the way. But God miraculously healed our son of autism. I mean, he slept in a car seat, couldn't make eye contact with us parroted back the information, was in special ed for two years. Um, he miraculously got healed one day in just a normal prayer at the end of church. Nothing spectacular. Nobody shouted. It was just a, a, an amazing healing prayer. And somebody needed to hear that and he needed to restore your faith. And if I could just follow that for just a moment. When it comes to believing for healing and faith, can I say this? Every miracle you're believing for exists in heaven. Follow with me for just a second. This is like I didn't intend on saying this at all, but somebody needs to hear this. Every miracle you're believing for is in heaven. The Bible says there's no sickness, no pain, no suffering. He'll wipe away every tear in heaven. It's all there. And when you pray for the miraculous, all you're doing is you're praying for what is in heaven to jump into your now. That's all you're doing. You're praying for what's in heaven to jump into your now. It's there for you. And if it doesn't jump into your now, every day you live, you are moving one day closer to your miracle. And the day that you pass from this side of eternity to that side of eternity, your miracles will manifest in your body. You will not have any sickness or pain. But that's why we call it a miracle, because for some reason, and we don't exactly know all the reasons, what's in heaven jumps into your now. And that's why I say, it's a miracle. Because what is supernatural and is waiting for you in eternity jumps into your now. Now, somebody need to hear that. I need to keep believing in faith for whatever it is that you believe God has promised you. He's a healing God. He's a loving God. He cares for you, and you needed to hear that. So back to Connor. I'm bringing my autistic son to the Mall of America. Becca has our younger son, Logan, and she's got him in a stroller. He's too young to know that the Mall of America has all these rides and games and things. And uh, so he's in the stroller over there. 
and Connor's with me, and so he loved the bounce house, and so I wanted to get him a ticket for the bounce house, so I do, and get him the ticket, and I take his shoes off, and, and I take his shoes off of him, and he's ready to bounce, and I, I put him in this little cubby hole thing, and I turn around, and Connor's not there, so I think he's just jumped into the bounce house, right? That's what I think. So I look in the bounce house, I'm like, hey, Connor, are you in here? And I see these kids bounce around, but Connor's not in there. So then I'm thinking maybe he's playing hide-and-seek. He thinks it's kind of funny. Maybe he doesn't know he can go in the bounce house yet. So I'm like, hey, Connor, you know, it's not funny. Your dad's paid for you. You can go in the bounce house. And he's not there. I'm looking behind bushes. I'm looking behind everything, trying to figure it out. And I think, I think I've lost Connor. I don't know where he is. It's the Mall of America, and there's like tens of thousands of people every day that go there. And so how many know I don't want to be that dad that lost his kid, right? So I start going like, Connor, hey, buddy, Connor, hey, hey, Connor, this is dad. You can jump in the bounce house. This is not funny. Hey, Connor. All of a sudden, I realize Connor's gone. He's gone. I have now lost Connor, and now I don't care what dad I am. I start screaming, Connor, Connor, and I'm running around the bounce house, and I'm running and running and running, and, the, and then my circle is getting bigger and bigger, and pretty soon I'm thinking, shut down the mall. Like, Connor's gone, and I'm screaming for Connor, and I'm terrified because I have lost Connor. And as I'm, as I'm doing this, people would run up to me, and they'd be like, what does Connor look like? And I'm like, he has a little flannel shirt. He has no shoes. He, he, he's like four years old. Look for him. They're yelling, Connor. And as they run away and they start yelling for Connor, how many know they became my new best friends? I don't even know their name, and I'm just like, thank you that they want to help me find my lost child. And as I'm running around and running around, here's where God just told me my eyes are on my lost kids. Because all of a sudden in that moment, I can tell you this, never not once was I like this. Well, you know, you win some, you lose some. Logan's with Becca, and, you know, 50-50, you know, all right, yeah. <laughs> no, I was consumed with my lost child. If I could say to your church right now, God is consumed with his lost children out there. You know what? He absolutely loves that you are in the church right now. He loves that you are in the safety of this. He loves it. He loves it. He loves it. But he's like, great, get charged up. Now go. Get charged up. Now go. Help me find my lost kids. They matter. Help me reach the next person. They matter. And he's like, that's great. But remember, there are lost kids out there. So as I'm running around, out of the corner of my eye, I see Connor in that little ball pit. How many know what I'm talking That little plastic germ-infested ball pit that they've closed in pretty much every mall now, yeah. And he's in there. And is, it, is that not a picture of sin? Like, he doesn't even know he's lost and he's in the germ-infested ball pit. And people around you, they don't know that they're in the germ-infested life that they're in. They think they're having fun. And they don't even know they're lost. And I go jumping in there, and I'm like, oh, Connor, Connor, I love you. I love you. I take him out of the ball pit, and the people see me, and I'm like, Connor, you know, he's here. And they're rejoicing with me, and we're high, I'm high-fiving these strangers. And I'm like, Connor, I love you. Don't ever leave me. If you do that again, I will kill you. I mean, and I did. I mean, it's kind of like that. And then immediately I was like, do you want anything? Do you want ice cream? Do you want, what do you want? I mean, I just thought, isn't that like the, the heart of God? I have more blessings for you. Now that you're found, you get all sorts of blessings in the house of God and in the family of God. But he's like, now, now, when you grow up, now, you, now you're part of this. Now you're part of the search party. Lost kids matter. Lost people matter. And I just want to pray over the church and say, 
here's to those not yet here. Here's to those not yet here. You know, the church gave you this Christmas card. This is not a bookmark. This is for you to invite somebody to one of the few times a year that their heart is really open to. This right here is an easy invitation to give a lost child something as a way to find their way home. This is not for you to try to recruit somebody from another church to your church. This is for you to try to find somebody that's a lost child and say, you matter. You matter. That's what this says. It says you matter. And so I want to pray that you will say, here's to those not here. Matter of fact, if you can do this here and at all the campuses, grab the card. Grab the card. Let's hold this up like here's to those not yet here. Let's just do this. Let's hold that card. It should be in the bulletin. And uh, I think everybody got those. Just grab it. Let's just take a moment. Hold it up. Here's for those not yet here. So, Lord, we just take these in our hands and we realize here's to those not yet here. Here's to those not yet here. There are people that need to know the life-giving message of Jesus Christ, the joy that we found in you, the forgiveness that we found in you. We don't need a tattoo. We've got a card to invite people. Thank you, God. Thank you for that. But, Lord, seriously, we pray for people right now. These cards are a thing that says, I care, and we're going to give these to people and get them there to hear the message that could change their life. We're going to look for people to invite to church. We're going to look for opportunities to open up our mouth. We're going to say that we're qualified. And if we don't know the answer, we'll find it together with them. But we know this, the one that died for us, loves us, cares for us, forgave us of our sins, and it's open to whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. And so, God, we commit to say, here is to those not yet here. Inconvenience us. Cause us to go to other services cause us to have to serve more, to work more, to wake up earlier, to sacrifice, to give more, to start new campuses, and to do whatever we can to say, God, here's to those not yet here. Blessings on this church. May they run downhill. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.